Hello, welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast. We cover the most important regulatory issues of the week with the assistance of our team of reporters around the globe. James Paniki with you. It's great to have your company. Now, it's not the first time that we talk about Brexit on this podcast, and I'm guessing it won't be the last. How is that possible, I hear you ask? The referendum was, after all, held in June 2016, and here we still are grappling with the fallout. And with every day that passes, it seems that the discussion about the economic impact of the UK's decision to leave the European Union is increasingly focused on regulation. Why is that? So, the premise of Brexit was that the UK would free itself of burdensome EU regulation, a benefit referred to as the Brexit dividend. Has the government been able to deliver that dividend? Well, not according to some businesses that say the regulation is still getting in the way, along with the regulators. Luckily for us, our MLEX colleagues in London have written a piece of analysis on how this regulatory battle is unfolding. Two of the authors of that analysis join me now. Phoebe Sears covers financial crime and financial services. Jakob Kruper writes about data privacy and security, as well as future mobility. And they join us now. Uh, Jakob, firstly, what do you think companies might have expected from this so-called Brexit dividend? And what has actually been the experience of business in the UK since it left the EU? So one of the main promises of the Brexit campaign and the Brexit referendum was all about making regulations more agile, more business friendly, you know, removing red tape, cumbersome procedures, these unelected bureaucrats in Brussels telling us how to live and all of that stuff, about shackles constraining the UK's growth and innovation. But I think it's fair to say that now, what is it now, almost seven years later since the referendum, it has proved to be way more complicated. And having left the EU, the UK is clearly looking to find its own way, but it takes time to figure it out. And companies and industry groups are clearly growingly frustrated about the fact that sometimes it looks like the UK is kind of diverging for the sake of diverging. That's what we heard recently from Make UK, which is a body representing the manufacturing industry. And, for example, on the legislative front, we've, we've had delays to all the flagship proposals, the Online Safety Bill, the Data Protection and Digital Information 2 Bill, and the number two indicates that they ran out of time with the first one and they had to introduce the second one, <laughs> um, and the Digital Markets Competition and Consumers Bill. They all come late. They all include changes to the regulatory structure. At the end of the day, that was the main promise of Brexit. And, and this may very well work in mid to long term. I'm not saying it's not going to work, but at the moment there are loads of questions and companies go like, how do we navigate all that uncertainty? You know, we have the ministers saying we want pro-innovation, light touch regulation, we want to have democratic oversight of what the regulators do. But in the meantime, companies go like, how all of that does work? Like, how does that work? So our comment this week talks about examples in manufacturing, in tech, in competition, in financial services, where big companies chose to publicly intervene and say, hey, this is not going the way you promised us. Wake up. I think there's a good example of that in the retained EU law bill, which was a bill effectively meant to remove all EU inherited laws from the UK statute book by the end of this year. And when they started looking at it, they were like, oh, there are about 2,000 of them. That should be doable. And they were like, oh, no, actually, it's 2,500. Oh, no, looking down the so the back of the sofa, it's 4K. It's 5K. How many? Like, how, how does it even work? And we, it's not even obvious 
what we are repealing now. So some of these laws may be important, some of them are purely technical, quite literally not needed anymore, but who knows? And and companies, we covered that. The digital Insurance Automotive Employees Group, literally every walk of life, they go, you can't just do that. You have to review them, you have to contemplate, you have to consider, put some structure in place. They eventually backed out of that, but I think that erratic approach to changing regulation is something that that we wanted to highlight in this comment. Now, Phoebe, as Jakob just mentioned, your analysis of this issue goes industry by industry in a way, and the UK has long prided itself as a global hub for financial services. It's opened its arms to fintechs. Uh, What has been the impact of the environment we've just described on this industry in particular? Hi, James. Um, Look, we've seen, I think, what could be described as a series of embarrassments for the government recently uh, with with both traditional financial services and then also fintech businesses either walking away from the UK or, or at least threatening to. Um, take take listings, you know, on the stock exchange. In the UK, they've been declining for a while now. I think it's down something like 40% since 2008, the number of listings in, in London. Um, and in one particularly high-profile case earlier this year, the British computer chip maker Arm uh, basically said it wasn't going to list in the UK, it was going to list in the US, citing, I think, some specific regulatory re- requirements here that it, it wasn't happy with. Now, that happened notwithstanding that the UK, kind of desperate to keep arm here because it's considered a company of national importance, was even prepared to bend the rules for it. Let's look at fintechs. To date, that's been kind of a real success story in the UK. Um, The UK is sort of credited with with, uh, pioneering open banking and uh, sandboxes, which has drawn kind of this fantastic group of, you know, huge group of fintechs here. But they're also getting itchy feet. Uh, there have been complaints about open banking uh, with companies like Monzo and Wise that provide the interface uh, to users and the kind of services, complaining specifically that the, direct, the regulators in charge of it have failed to kind of take it sufficiently seriously and give it a, a clear direction of travel. Re- recently in the news, we've heard from the head of a British fintech called Revolut, kind of a real uh, British success story, one that the government is kind of keen to champion at every opportunity it can. Uh, In interviews, he also complained specifically about his interactions with the financial services regulators. That would be the kind of Prudential Regulation Authority and the the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. So Revolut's been trying to obtain a banking licence. I think the process has been going on for several years now. Uh, Unsurprisingly, he described that as a long and tiring uh, process and engagement. He said it took months to get a response from the regulator to emails. And look, he said this just isn't how you do business today. And he contrasted the UK unfavourably with the environment in the US where he says business is just championed by everyone. The FCA again actually has also been in the firing line over their processes to register crypto businesses under an anti-money laundering regime that's been in place since 2020. Uh, I think something like 85% of firms that applied to the regulator to be registered were rejected. Now, they complained that they were rejected over kind of minor deficiencies in their applications and that the regulator refused to kind of engage and help them through the process. Okay, so Phoebe, from what you're saying, it sounds to me like it's largely the regulators who are in the firing line, right? I mean, they're not necessarily... Uh, going after the architects of Brexit or, uh, you know, a a broader sense of of responsibility here. They're really worried about red tape and how regulation is affecting their business prospects. Largely, I'd say, yes, you're right. And I think a lot of it comes down to kind of a disconnect between 
the kind of attitude and approach between the, the regulators, you know, and the government, you know, the government, I think, is, is doing quite a lot to try to keep businesses happy here and at least to give the impression to businesses that they really want them to stay here. Whereas I think that there's a real sense, at least in financial services and, and fintech, that the regulators are not. I think one example, quite recent one, uh, really illustrates that. Do you remember when um, Silicon Valley Bank was collapsing in the US? Uh, it became pretty evident that its UK arm wouldn't survive the failure of its parent. Uh, this all unraveled quite quickly. And the Bank of England, in order to kind of calm the markets, put out an impassive statement that Silicon Valley Bank only had a uh, very limited uh, presence in the UK and uh, all things going as they were, it would just be wound up under bank insolvency rules. Deposits up to about £85,000 would be protected under the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. Now, Silicon Valley Bank was the only bank for thousands of startups and tech companies in the UK, uh, and £85,000 was a fraction of the average deposit that they held at the bank. Uh, this was all happening over a weekend, and had the bank gone into insolvency, as the Bank of England suggested that it might, uh, come Monday morning, these businesses would have had no access to cash. And for some of them, you know, some of them, these young businesses, that would have been probably the end of them. So over that weekend, there was kind of significant lo lobbying by tech companies aimed at the government. Uh, it resulted in Jeremy Hunt, the finance minister, making it very, very clear that the tech sector was important to the UK and that the government would do kind of everything within its powers to keep a banking relationship open for these companies. Uh, so lo and behold, uh, come first thing Monday morning, HSBC had agreed to buy out the failing bank. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was fine in the end. So it had, a, it had a happy ending, but things could have gone very differently, I suppose. Jakob, is there broadly a, a similar sentiment in, in the wider tech sector beyond fintech i think what phoebe said there about the uk being at the forefront in terms of innovation trials sandboxes that's very much something that the tech sector recognizes as well they say you know we've done extremely well trialing technologies seeing if they can work but but there are problems with legislation there are legislative delays so i mentioned earlier the online safety bill the data protection reform the competition rules the future mobility things that i write about such as regulating automated vehicles. The UK was leading in terms of trials. Now it's falling behind other countries in terms of regulating the actual rollout of these vehicles on, on roads. And when they are not late, or even when they are late, there's this temptation from some lawmakers to put as much stuff as they can into these regulations, using these kind of post-Brexit freedoms of being able to regulate everything themselves. They can't. They just can't help themselves. Just put as much stuff as you can. And for example, the online safety bill they mentioned earlier, which is obviously very laudable, commendable intentions. I think the, the stated intention on the front of the bill is something like, we want Britain to be the safest place to go online, particularly for kids. Sounds good. It all comes on the back of public outrage over the, the high-profile death of a teenage girl who killed herself in 2017. And there's a very significant social media element there. Strong public support for reform on this. Excellent. So far, so good. But now it's turned into this kind of ridiculous bloated bill trying to regulate everything. And the lawmakers themselves, I listened to the debate the other week, say, like, I don't understand it. Like, you have one by one lawmakers standing up and going, um, there's, a, there's a specific one I, I noted down, say, saying it's complicated to the extent that they have no confidence that they fully understand it and all its ramifications. And again, obviously, that's not the way to do it. And you, you the, on the back of that, you have WhatsApp, Signal, other companies saying, look, this is ridiculous. We can't comply with all of this. We, we may need to leave the country 
in this particular case over end-to-end encryption. But there is this frustration about the fact that there's just too much going on in that sense, and everything gets delayed anyway. Uh, Jakub, all of this really amounts to significant political pressure for the government, right? I mean, it was the Conservative Party, the Conservative government that uh, that was the essentially the architect of, of Brexit. So it is responsible for uh, getting Brexit uh, done and sorting out all of these problems. Tell me something about about uh, how that's panning out and how the government is likely to respond. I think Phoebe is absolutely right when she said that it gets to the point where it's essentially embarrassing for the government and any future potential government that so many companies complain about so many different things at the same time. And obviously, you you know, we would be tempted to say the simplest thing to do is to start a more stable, predictable legislative program, pass laws, offer some certainty after six, seven years of chaos and, and turmoil since the referendum, but we know that's not how things work in politics. So instead, we have a, a different but also very important debate, I think, and Phoebe alluded to that, about disconnect between regulators and companies they regulate and the lawmakers. So just the other week, Microsoft's planned acquisition of Activision was blocked in the UK, cleared in the EU, with the company openly saying, you know, oh, this is the UK's problem. It's the darkest day in the decades of our presence in the UK. Um, not really what you wanted to hear after Brexit. And I think there's growing tension between regulators and the government. The Chancellor, um, Jeremy Hunt, um, didn't go quite as fast as the CMA was wrong, but he said in a fairly pointed remark, regulators need to understand the responsibility for economic growth. It's a, you know, it's a recurring theme in discussion. So um, whether that's you know automotive companies complaining about Brexit, Stellantis just the other day, um, or, or other companies, you can see that lawmakers are growing impatient of that. And I think what is really interesting for us, keeping in mind that we have general election coming up in the UK next year, there may be a change of government, um, that there's a cross-party support for that change of approach. So there's growing appetite to change the way regulators work. It's not a new concept. Obviously, Brexit is based on that, on the idea of rebelling against, you know, technocrats uh, telling us how to live our lives. It's, it's slightly more nuanced now, with lawmakers essentially saying, we need to scrutinise what they do. We, they need to be, the regulators need to be more accountable. Uh, and they want to set up either a new committee in Parliament or a new statutory body looking at what the regulators do. I think it will be interesting to see what come out, comes out of that, because you, you have this lie that you have to tread very carefully between interference, political interference in what the regulators do, and the question of accountability. And I think that balance is something that we'll, we'll see changing in the UK. If they get it right, and this will give the lawmakers, the government of the day, more ability to influence and help these businesses, surely that's good for businesses. But if they cross that line a bit too far and interfere with the regulators, you can see that backfiring as well. That's right. There's only one thing worse than uh, industry, which is overregulated, and that's industry that's underregulated. So it could go either way. But look, Phoebe, Jakob, it's always great uh, talking to you both. Your wrap of the post-Brexit fallout was uh, was great fun to read. So let's talk again very soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Bye. Phoebe Sears is an MLEX correspondent covering financial crime and financial services from London. Jakob Kruper was also in London. He's an MLEX senior correspondent covering data privacy and security, cybersecurity and future mobility. Phoebe and Jakob wrote that piece of analysis that was just mentioned with the assistance of our colleagues Fiona Maxwell and Frank Hersey. And it's available for you to read right now on the sunny side of the MLEX paywall 
All you need to do is go to our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. You can click on the News Hub tab for the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. There's also an archive of our special reports, which is another way to understand some of the big regulatory issues that we've been covering over recent months and years. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the MLEX podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. The program is produced and presented by me, James Paniki. Our executive producer is Richard Thompson. And we have the MLEX marketing team in London to thank for magically uploading the podcast so that it gets into your earbuds. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company today. Let's catch up again next week at more or less the same time. Bye for now.